Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett. This episode is quite special because we have a very... Uh, very exciting guest with us today, uh, Brian Ray of America's Rugby News. Brian, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. We're really excited to pick your brain. I know uh, we've been sent some questions that have some need some answering, so we're excited to have you on. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'll try to be as exciting as I can. I don't know if I'm the, uh, the world's most exciting guest ever, but I'll, I will do my best. I'll answer all your questions. You're probably the most exciting guest that we've ever had on, so that's the, uh, the barometer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> working our way up in the world yeah Yeah. exactly so far it's been Stu technically and Aaron Castro so you know (laughs) (laughs) highly esteemed company indeed (laughs) so you know we're we're gonna we're gonna start with you uh Brian we're gonna we want to get to know you a little bit so the first thing is where did where did Brian Ray start where where was your raising where did you grow up uh well I grew up in Toronto uh the first 20 odd years of my life, sort of, uh, uh, Scarborough, I guess, um, to be exact, uh, and spent a couple of years in Florida in my youth. Um, uh, my dad was there working. So went there for a little bit, came back, uh, and then, uh, came the East coast, uh, when I was first year university. And then I kind of went back and forth for a couple of years and then ended up staying out East. So, uh, yeah, that's the synopsis, the quick synopsis. There you go. Um, so where, when and where did your kind of passion for rugby start? Where, what was the starting point for your career in rugby and in, in your fandom? Uh, it pretty much happened at the very first practice I went to in grade nine, actually. Um, uh, I was kind of leaving school for the day, and the guys were like, hey, you know, they're running rugby practice. Why don't you come check it out? So I said, all right. And then uh, – our coach at the time uh, was a really awesome, super energetic guy um, who was from the Toronto Irish at the time and uh, went to the first practice and that was it. it was pretty much hooked. And then uh, the 95 World Cup came along, watched that, Jonah Lamu, all that kind of good stuff. And there was no turning back after that. So uh, it all happened very rapidly. Uh, I was writing about the sport starting in 1998. Uh, and yeah, and here we are. <laughs> and here we are. Moons later. So, you know, if you were going to pick one position that said that, you know, it defined your career as a rugby player, what was your, what was your go-to position? Oh, I was a scrum half. Uh, uh-huh. I started as a, as a fullback. Um, but I was, you know, I, I'm only five, eight. So I was very quickly, um, uh, moved to, to scrum. Half. I actually went to fly half and my scrum half was a guy named Scotty Dunham. Um, and uh, he was about 5'7 one year, and I was about 5'7. And uh, we went away for the summer and came back, and he was 6'2, and I was 5'7. So he went to fly half. I went to scrum half. He ended up playing uh, flanker for and second row for uh, Canada A. Uh, one of the better players uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, watching and taking the field with who didn't get a cap, but that's a long story. But, uh, anyways, there you go. So I was a, I was a mouthy scrum half. There you go. Now, before we get into Brian, we start asking Brian the reporter questions. 
Brian the fan, who has been your favorite Canadian player to watch? You know, past, current, who's the one guy you think of? Or girl? Uh, actually, I'm probably going to go. That's a tough one, but, uh, well, I'd probably go with uh, Karen Packin, the flanker for, for the women's side. I think she's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, if I'm going to pick up the men's player, I'd actually maybe go with Winston Stanley, um, winger slash fullback slash wherever they, they put him in. Uh, not the biggest guy ever, but man, the guy played uh, 110 miles an hour, completely fearless, skilled player, uh, just a, a thrilling guy to watch. So uh, I really enjoyed watching him play. And, you know, our, our last question before we get into, you know, the, the, the meat and potatoes of this podcast is who is your favorite player outside of Canada? Um, I'll, I'll have to go back again uh, because when I was, was – kind of getting in and in, in, in the mid nineties, the, the guy for me was used to van der Vestheisen from South Africa. They're a scrum half. He was just a game changer. Um, you know, there were other great guys around there. George Gregan, uh, uh, Gus Pichot was an awesome player for, for Argentina, of course, but used was just uh, uh, something different at the time. He was like an extra flanker, but he was had all the skills as well. Uh, so I, I would say probably him. Him and actually Osterant too for South Africa was another just amazing player. Those two guys were, were awesome. You know, it's it's funny looking at you know, my introduction to Pichot was, you know, the vice chairman. And now looking back at, at his actual career, it's like, oh my god, he he was actually a pretty amazing player. So Oh yeah, I, I saw him play uh, in person for Argentina when they were down here. Um I'd followed his career. He played for in the premiership Richmond and he went to Stafford. So I, I'd followed his entire career pretty much. So, uh, so yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. And then I got the chance to talk to him pretty recently, which was kind of interesting. I tried not to let my uh, fanboys get in the way of that one. <laughs> so a full circle situation for you. So uh, we're going to get into it. Um, and I think a big part of this, this podcast today with you, Brian, is going to be about the future of Canadian rugby, because when there's no rugby to talk about, you have to talk about the future. You can only go one way or the other. Uh, and so the first thing we're going to talk about, and this was actually a question that a lot of people sent us. Um, uh, at Martin Conlin on Twitter was one of the questions. Uh, but what's going on with the ARC? It's been kind of rumors and, and hearsay, there say about the situation. So let me have you first talk about this, and we'll have the lads finally have something to say. But, uh, you know, what's going on with the tournament right now? Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, facts we can really get into right now. Um, they're just kind of going through discussions. As far as what's going to happen this year, I can't see any ARC happening. I pretty, pretty much I think everyone can understand that uh, South American teams just aren't going to be able to travel out of there. So I think if we do get games, it'll be like a maybe a, a home and away or, or maybe just a two-game series hosted somewhere against the USA, something like that. Um, but travel just isn't on the cards. The question is, and which is kind of the question uh, we've all been wondering, is what's the future of the ARC? Um, is it going to happen next year? Uh, of course, I, I had that article on, on America's Rugby News uh, kind of going over the complaints from Sud America Rugby, Sebastian Piñerua, uh, the president down there, uh, the whole of South America really disappointed, especially in Canada, for, uh, for voting for Bill Beaumont instead of Gus Pichot. So uh, there's some political stuff to get sorted out there. Um, where it goes, I really don't know. I wish I had a better idea, but I, I just don't at this point. 
Um, you know, I'd like to think that cooler heads will prevail, but uh, you know, this is a, a complicated business. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, I really can't uh, give you <laughs> something better than, than I don't really know where this is going to go. Yeah. Um, but it's such an exciting competition. I hope, I hope uh, they can get their, uh, their issues sorted out enough that we can keep it on the schedule. Why is this tournament so important to Canada and the Americas? Well, what do you feel as a fan and as a spectator and Derek and, and you're watching of the, the, the tournament? Well, I think like over the past couple of years, the ARC's kind of become like the premier tournament in the Americas division. Um, obviously, like Argentina sends the Argentina 15, so it's not that their top tier team. But for countries like Uruguay, the United States, Canada, Brazil, Chile, like that, this is pretty much the highest regular competition that they get outside of, you know, maybe they get a couple tier one matchups every year, which typically do result in losses, uh, you know, most of the time. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's, you know, it's a competition that's kind of on everybody's level. Everybody's getting better as they are playing it. And it allows you to kind of build your confidence up a lot. Like we've seen like just how much, you know, Uruguay has improved since the ARC began. And I think, I think you can use that and like, I want to see all the other countries in the Americas improve too, even like Brazil, Chile, and you know, everybody that would have been say in the second division of the ARC as well, that would have had an opportunity to earn promotion to the, to the big tournament this year. And I think, I think that's kind of the one thing that I really hope this, as Brian said, I really hope that cooler heads prevail because I want to see that, that pathway there for teams to play. Cause I don't want to kind of lose this, tournament where it's you know all the teams in the americas can play on like a great level of competition and make everybody collectively better as well so we're going to play a little bit of uh rugby canada armchair coach because if the arc ever did happen this summer it would have been uh rugby canada's first game post world cup and if you go back to um the arc in 2016 a lot of players got their first caps and it was kind of a turning the tide in terms of some of the players that were being put into the fold with rugby Canada. And I think that the national program, especially on the men's side is definitely in a period of transition. Uh, a lot of guys at this last world cup are definitely in the stages of finishing their career or already have announced that they've finished their careers. So gentlemen, what we're going to do is we are actually going to, uh, choose your starting lineups for Canada's first game, which would have been against the U.S. So very tough competition for them. So what we're going to do is we're going to go down the list and we're going to go by, uh, by position and you know, front row, locks, back row, and then our backs. So Brian, since you are the uh, guest of honor, I'll have you go first and tell us who your starting uh, front row is. Okay, well, uh, one thing you'd have to keep in mind for for this game, if if this happens, hopefully it does happen, is we won't have any of the European guys at all. Uh, just they just won't be allowed to travel. And guys who are signing contracts, they've been you know sitting out for all these months. They're not going to leave their professional clubs to come back and play a couple uh, games. So I'm not even going to consider the guys like Matt Tierney, Evan Olmstead, Tyler Ardron, etc. But uh, so our front row, uh, I think it pretty much picks itself right now. Um, well, I, I, there's competition hooker, but I would probably go with uh, DJ Sears Duru at loose head prop. Uh, I'm going to go with Andrew Quatrin at hooker. I think he's been in form and deserves a start uh, very close with Eric Howard. And uh, I'm going to go with Cole Keith again. I think he's in form uh, just ahead of Jake Ilnicki at the moment. 
Yeah, I, I I think as Brian said, that front row kind of picks itself going into the ARC. The only one that would maybe be up in the air would be Tyranny. But if we're going based off of the fact that the European guys aren't going to be able to come over for any international games that may happen later in this year, I think I think that becomes a pretty obvious choice. And then maybe maybe Eric Howard, but that's really at Hooker, but that's really the only uh, the only other question in the front row. I think. Yeah, I've got the same. Same, same lineup. No, no questions there. All right. So we're now going to get to the engine room. So, uh, Brian, who do you have at your, your locks? Uh, well, this is a tricky one. Um, they've got some guys. It, the question is, uh, you know, where are you going to go with them? Uh, um, you don't have Olmstead. He's the obvious pick. Um, and you got to fill in at number eight as well without Ardron. So, um, I think it's you'd have to go with uh, you know you got Mike Shepard, Connor Keys, and Josh Larson is probably the three who are right around the top. Uh, the question is, you know, do you do you pick Shepard even if if he's the best option, knowing that he's not probably not going to be around for the next World Cup? You know, I think they probably want to start building. So um, the other guy I think that they really look at is Frank Carson from the under twenty program. I know they're very high on him, but I think the starters, uh, I'll just go with Connor Keyes and Josh Larson for right now. Okay, Derek, who did you pick for your, your locks? Yeah, I was kind of, I think I was somewhat on the same page as Brown. I was kind of, when I was kind of putting this team together, I was kind of thinking of, I want to start seeing some guys that could be on the World Cup team in four years, or, you know, even if they haven't been necessarily been capped yet, um, just to kind of see what we got in some of the younger guys. Um, so for that reason, I agree, Connor Keys. I'm really interested to kind of see what um, he can do with a little bit more game time. Um, and I thought, like, you know, it was interesting seeing him on Rugby ATL this year as well. They had obviously some really good locks down in Atlanta. So he, you know, he got kind of bumped to the bench for a handful of games there. So I'm still very curious to see, like, you know, what he can do on the level. And then for a little bit of – I kind of want to see some guys, and I think – I don't know. Like, I'm kind of just honestly, like, maybe a guy like Paul Cialini might be a fun, like, little experiment to just kind of see what Canada actually might have with them and, you know, to maybe have them play in a game that's, you know, far out from the World Cup. But just kind of, I think there's a lot of players that I would just like to see what they have to offer at the international level. And I think I, he's just one of those guys that I'd like to see get in a few more games. So I, I've, we're all across the board with Connor Keyes. Um, I went with the four, a little uh, veteran presence. I, I was flipping and flopping with Cellini, but I went with Kyle Bailey at lock. You know, he's a guy that can kind of play lock and flank. And, you know, versatility is great. And, you know, he was calling a lot of Canada's line, uh, lineouts and it suffered when he was hurt. You know, uh, injury, you know, is always up in the – but this is hypothetical. Everyone's 100% healthy. So going with, uh, going with Bailey. All right, uh, Brian, who are you picking for your back row? Because this is an interesting, interesting, interesting discussion. Yeah, uh, Bailey, I think, would be my captain, and I would play him at number eight because we don't really have um, another number eight right now. Uh, Campbell hasn't played since the World Cup. He's out of the picture, in my opinion. I think you have to go with MLR guys. So I would go with uh, Kyle Bailey at eight even though it's not his best position, but you just got to get somebody there. Um, although it's tempting, again, to look uh, to a young guy like uh, Nick Carson from the uh, U-20s, who they're very high on, a big guy. 
um, and a couple of the sevens guys as well, uh, Mullins and Jake Teal. But I think uh, it's really hard, especially coming up at the Olympics, for a loose forward to switch back and forth. So I would leave those guys out for now. So um, uh, flankers, you got three obvious ones stick out, Matt Heaton, uh, Lucas Rumble, and Nakai Penny. I think Penny on form has been absolutely uh, smashing it. So uh, I'm actually going to go with Penny and uh, Heaton on the flanks uh, and Rumble as the odd man out. People probably say he should be the captain, but he's not going to be the, my captain because I'm leaving him on the bench. I'm going to go with Inform Nakai Penny instead. Uh, yeah, I am love Nakai Penny. I'm super excited to see him get more. I think he has, I think, what, like three caps or something? Um, so, I mean, I'd be really excited to get to see him get in a lot more games, and hopefully he can be a guy that Canada can really lean on when he comes to the next World Cup. Um, I, yeah, I like, I like, I like Kyle Bailey at eight. I don't know. I'm kind of, I like him at eight and I kind of, but I'm also kind of curious to see like, like if Rumble, what Rumble would he be able to do playing eight too? And knowing that we don't, like you said, we like, we don't really have our drawn and then Bailey's kind of the next guy, but it's also not necessarily his best position. Um, so I, I'm, I'm in favor for a little bit of just kind of mixing that around. And then, um, I think I would go with. Matt Heaton playing uh, blindside as well. So I I picked Heaton Rumble as my flanks, and I went with a little bit of youth with uh, Colby Francis at my eight. Uh, when last year when the Arrows had their ARC Blues, uh, it was Francis that you know stuck on that eight jersey between him and uh, Marcello Wainwright. Um, I like the big body that Francis has, and also. Again, I'm going with versatility. Uh, he can sub in at lock, and you can kind of move people around and do whatever you need to. So I like uh, – I want to see what he can do at the international level. And going up against Cam Dolan is going to really show what he's got. So we're – that's – those are our options. Again, pretty pretty close to in a lot of positions. I mean, all our front rows was the same and, and kind of talks about guys who have been performing and also a little bit of depth. Um, so let's talk about our, our nines and our tens. So, uh, uh, Brian, who are you picking? Especially now that we know that it has to be guys who are state and, and Canada bound, uh, bound, we'll say. Yeah, so that rules out Will Priscilla, who's the obvious choice at nine uh, that you want to look at. Um, and Shane O'Leary at 10 because he's in France now. Uh, so yeah. I, I think the nines, is, it's Ferguson and McKenzie right now. Uh, there's another guy coming over pretty soon who I won't spoil, but he's not in the picture yet. He's uncapped, so we'll just leave him out for now. So I'll go with uh, I'll go with Ferguson to start because he's younger than J Mac. J Mac coming off the bench at nine and ten. Um, you know the decision I guess would be uh, you could go Will Kelly or I, I think probably I would for that position right now I'd go with continuity. I'm assuming. Uh, that Peter Nelson is in around Seattle. So I'll go with, with, with Peter Nelson, although he might be in Ireland. I don't even know, but uh, so I'll go with him. I think Will Kelly's just a, a little bit inexperienced before he gets some, uh, a little bit more game time with the arrows under his belt. I'll go, I'll, I'll stick with Nelson. Yeah, I think, I think if you do take Priscilla out um, just because McKenzie is 31 years old and like, you know, who knows if he'll be in the picture for the next world cup, but that I think that kind of leaves the uh, the default goes back down to Ferguson. Um, I am going to take Will Kelly as my 10, though, just because I think, you know, we don't 
as far as like at least a Canadian born fly half, um, he's definitely up there. He's playing in Canada with the arrow system a lot. Um, and you know, obviously the arrows have Taylor Adams, so he didn't necessarily get a ton of starts in the very abbreviated 2020 season, but I think, you know, he's kind of one of those guys that I think, you know, the future success of Canadian rugby is somewhere in there. We're going to need to find a fly half that we can rely on and, you know, have a steady presence in that 10 Jersey. And I think, I feel like Will Kelly might be uh, the guy to try this out on. And if we do play these games that are ways out from the world cup, I don't see, I don't think there's a better time to uh, give him a shot than right now. I went with Ferguson as well. I think Ferguson is going to have to have. You went with Priscilla as well until Brian told you to change your rules. <laughs> uh, no, I had Priscilla on the bench. Oh, uh, I yeah, Ferguson, and the reason why I picked Ferguson over uh, McKenzie or originally Priscilla is that uh, I think the next couple of years for him are going to be kind of make or break it with the national team. You know, he was in good situations up until he broke his arm right before the uh, the repechage and, and missing out on that. Uh, so I'm really excited. I I think that every time he stepped into that nine jersey with with Canada or, or not with Canada with the arrows and or coming off the bench, he's been, you know, fantastic. So um, now my 10, I kind of flip-flop between pulling in a sevens guy like uh, Connor Braid, who has played a little bit of 10 uh, for the national team. But I went with someone that had a little bit of 10 experience this year in MLR. I went with Robbie Povey. I think the guy's got a cannon of a boot. And I. it's unfortunate that he's going to Houston and not being able to play 10 because I think that's – I would really like to see him develop into a 10, but I, that's, that's who I'm going to have. That's who my 10 is. I'm sticking with it for now. Uh, okay, guys, centers. Uh, uh, Brian, who are you picking? Because I think this is an interesting discussion. Yeah, uh, the obvious uh, ones that stick out are Dutois and Massage from the Arrows it's because they play together. They're a good age, you know, uh, and I know Kingsley has his eye on, on those guys. It's said explicitly that's probably who would start if the game was happening so uh but i'd be awfully tempted to go a little bit radical in the midfield with spencer jones and george barton um i really really wish uh, I, I like bart you know barton's got his, his his limitations whatever but we just we haven't had that that big physical smashing guy you know we had nick levens for a while but this is he's a another step up in the power department so uh, I think I would I would roll the dice in this one, and I would go Spencer Jones at inside center, which I think is his oh, best position, okay. and George Barton at outside center, just to be that crashing wagon uh, guy to just smash into the opposition back line. All right, Derek. Man, see now I don't even want to give my answer now because <laughs> I heard that, and I'm like, that sounds awesome and like so much fun. Um, because especially because I was like, man, like, you know, Detroit and Lesage, they play together with the arrows. It works very well. Um, you know, they have, because they are teammates in the MLR, they have that little bit of added time to build up some chemistry. And, you know, Lesage even, like, he got to play in the World Cup and all the buildup that the Canadian national team had to that. But, you know, he hasn't, like, he hasn't really had that full year of, like, pro completely under his belt yet either. So, I think there's a lot of, like, development room for him too. Um, so, Detroit and Lesage was going to be my pick. But now I feel like 
this is why we have Brian Ray come on because that was that sounds like a like a stroke of genius that in the waiting there. Yeah, I uh, you know I love Spencer Jones, and I I still believe that if we start him now and we put him on the wing, I think we can make <laughs> a very interesting project player. Put Spencer Jones on the wing, but right. uh, that no. Was, uh... That was one of our least listened to episodes for some bizarre reason when you mentioned Spencer Jones playing on the wing. <laughs> Who knows? It was uh, weird. It's like it t- the listeners actually tailed off. Like it's just like it got to a certain point and like, whoop, done. Yeah, exactly. It's like not a lot of people finished listening to that episode. I couldn't figure <laughs> out why though. But uh, no, I, I went with George Barton at 12. Uh, I agree with, with Brian. I like the crash ball. And I think that one of his biggest skills he needs to develop is being the first receiver and some decision-making, which hopefully can be taught. Uh, and then I'm going with Lesage at 13 just because watching him make some of those passes to Dan Moore this year was just, like, amazing. So that's my centers. And we'll finish it off. Your, your, your wings and your, and your fullback, Ryan, who are you picking? Because this, this is also interesting. Yeah, I will say in the midfield, a uh, quick shout-out to Doug Fraser, who has been absolutely outstanding for Old Glory this season and is uh, – I think would be a, a, a smart choice uh, as a bench where you can come in and play wing or center. I, I prefer him as a center, but anyways. Uh, so my outside backs um, here, I think, uh, well, Jeff Hassler is my first name because he's available and he's not playing in Europe, which is crazy. So uh, he's on the right wing or left wing, doesn't really matter. Uh, so he'll be on one wing. And the other two, I normally would not touch the seven side but if it's only a couple games, uh, I think you can get away with it in the outside backs. So as you were talking about having that second first receiver, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, well, Jones for me would be kind of like that, but I would actually have Theo Souter in at fullback. Uh, I think he fills that very nicely. He's such a good counterattack. And the other guy I would yank is Andrew Coe. So I would go Andrew Coe, Theo Souter, and Jeff Hassler outside. Derek, who did you pick? Oh, I... I think I think Jeff Hassler is the the obvious one obvious pick here at uh, wing. Um, I'm still in Dan's fly half, and I'm going to put Robbie Polvi at fullback, as, um, largely because I think that's where he's probably going to end up playing a lot of his pro career, especially if he just got traded to Houston and they have Sam Windsor in their setup there. Um, and my other winger, though, I'm going to dip into a little bit of the youth, and I just want to. As I mentioned before, I think, you know, why not test out some guys? So I'm going to dip into a little bit, provided this doesn't necessarily fall under Brian's restriction of Europe, because I don't actually know where he is since school is done. Um, but Avery Oideman would be my uh, 14. That's a good question. I, I had him on my, my bench. And I didn't know where he is, so I took him off. Yeah, I, I don't know where he day. physically is at the moment. So if he's if he's in Canada, then Oideman is Oideman's my guy on the wing. Yeah, I I got the exact same thing as uh, as Brian. Um, watching Co at the World Cup was so enjoyable, um, and I've cheered for Theo Sauter on this podcast multiple times. He's one of my favorite players. Uh, to watch in sevens and in fifteens, and then I also picked Hassler because that's kind of crazy talk. Um, bench, we don't really. We'll, we'll just go through it quickly. Uh, Brian, who are you picking for your bench? Well, the the other hooker would be Howard. Uh, 
Loosehead is a bit of a conundrum. We're pretty thin there. Uh, Tierney is actually playing there in Europe right now. Um, so without him, uh, you know, Pat Lynott is looking pretty interesting for the Arrows. He's kind of young and he's developing. Uh, Liam Murray is another guy with Pacific pride. So um, it's tough. I'll probably I'll go with Lynott because he's with the Arrows right now. Uh, tight head Ilnicki, uh, who we had cut here second row. Um, who did, I'll go with. Um, I'll take the young kid, Frank Carson. Actually, no, we'll go with Paul Cellini. Uh, I like him, your, your uh, recommendation, him. So Cellini's still pretty young. We'll go with him. Back row, Lucas Rebel. Uh, uh, who we got? Halfback, McKenzie. Uh, I'll go with Doug Fraser as my center winger. And um, I like your Povey pick. We'll go with him. He's a versatile guy for my 10 15. All right, Derek, who, who, who's your bench? Um, I think, yeah, I think I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Lynott, Howard, and I'll take Tyler Rowland up front just because, again, another, you know, get some of the young guys some game time. And uh, I'm just curious to see how that would go. Uh, another guy to kind of keep an eye on there. Um, then, to be honest, I kind of just cut him because I was like, maybe he wouldn't necessarily be around for the next World Cup. But if he got a play a game right now I think Mike Shepard would be a, a solid guy to have and then take Kyle Bailey for the little versatility of his ability to go into the back row and um and then as well as uh second row um backup scrum half I think he'd probably just go Jamie McKenzie um and then I would maybe go with this well because I didn't pick Barton so I'll take Barton for sure um and then I'd, I'd take uh, Andrew Coe and the uh, in the uh, for uh, steal him off the sevens team and bring him back. Uh, for me, same same uh, front row. Uh, Cellini and Nakai Penny are my two spare uh, forwards. Same with McKenzie. Um, then I chose my twenty-two as Will Kelly, and then my twenty-three Fraser because he can play wing, he can play center, and then you got a little bit of versatility. You move people around. Um, there you go, guys. You know, it's uh, pretty, pretty similar in some places. It's, it's, it's interesting to see what some people value, and that's why I like about this. And, again, if you go back to 2016 and you look at some of the guys that got their first starts in that year, it was always interesting to see who got their first caps then and then we weren't really heard a, a whole lot of um, from later. Now we're going to stick with the future of Canadian rugby. And, and you know, uh, Brian, we're going to start with you again. And name – three players uh, either with the 15s or the sevens programs that you're really excited to see come up. You mentioned some of them from the, some players from the Pacific pride. Who else are you excited to watch? And that you're uh, not limited this time by people in Canada. Yeah, no, uh, I think the, for me, by far the most exciting guy coming up for Canada. Well, I mean, Priscilla, we've mentioned him, but Tyler Duguid uh, posted an article. He's assigned for Montpellier second row. He's a huge guy. Uh, tremendous work rate and he loves to do the grunt work like uh, you watch him play and he just goes and clears he's a one-man rock machine um, and we haven't had really had that in a while a guy who's legitimately you know world uh, world-class size the guy is a beast you know 19 years old and he's shade under six seven and uh, 270 275 like that's 
I don't know if you guys have seen much footage of Norm Hadley, but he's pretty much the second coming of this guy. I'm putting too much hype on him, but I think I, I think he's. Uh, you can pencil him in for the next three World Cups for Canada. Um, so I think he's the guy to watch uh, up, up front, give us a bit of a menace. And the guy out in the backs, uh, kind of a sevens, fifteens guy. I don't really know where he's going to go. Uh, he's kind of flies under the radar. He's a guy named Thomas Isherwood. Um, he's out of Alberta. He can kick off both feet. Uh, really quick guy, audacious, has a crazy mullet haircut. Um, he's a really good sevens player, so I could see him doing well there. See how he goes. 15s, he kind of plays uh, fly half a fullback or, you know, sometime maybe even on the wing. But um, I think he's a really skilled, talented guy that uh, he'll do something wherever he goes. And you know, Asherwood was someone that I, I put on my, we did a little bit of a, uh, if you're picking, starting in your own uh, franchise, name three Americans or three players from the Americas. And I picked him. Um, but he, he last year when Oideman got hurt at the U20s, he, he was Canada's starting fullback, was he not? Yeah, he came in and uh, just did a, a cracker job. Uh, I was really impressed with him. Now, Derek, same question. Who are some guys that you're excited to watch? Well, I think, like, just, you know, one guy, obviously, I put him in my, you know, starting 15 there. So, wait a minute. I know that's not really necessarily the, like, a, maybe not the answer that you're kind of looking for because he's played a full year of pro with the uh, Toronto Arrows. But he, he did it at the age of 19, and he's still, like, you know, he's played for the U20 team and stuff, but he hasn't got a – you know, his senior level experience yet. So um, he's one guy that I would definitely be keeping an eye on. Hopefully we'll see him back playing in North America soon. Um, I like, I think this is going to be my, my Oshawa kind of side talking, but I do like Brock Webster um, who is, you know, he's in a position of need. He plays fly half um, and, you know, he does have the ability to play a little bit of sevens too. So like, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up kind of leaning there. I hope, I'm kind of hopeful that it's going to be fly half just because I think that's definitely an area that the Canadian men's national team definitely kind of needs. So I think I'm hopeful that uh, he is going to pan out well. And like I said, it has nothing to do with the fact that he's from Oshawa. It's just, he looks like a genuinely great player. <laughs> and then, you know, that's starting to see a lot of these up and coming Canadian players is the versatility to play both sevens and, and 15s is, is very interesting. Well, we're, we're going to move now into MLR news because, my goodness, in the last week, there has been a good amount of news. And we're going to start close to home first, starting with the Toronto Arrows. And we're going to start with the, the sad before we get to the, the exciting, the, the new and fresh. And, um, Sam Malcolm, who in year one was our starting fly half, and then you know, in this shortened year uh, was our fullback, will not be returning to the Arrows. Uh, he will be taking his talent over to Japan. Um, Brian, what was his impact like on the program? Well, you know, when you have an 86% goal kicker, that's a big, big advantage uh, psychologically going into any game, knowing that anything inside, uh, you know, the opposition's half is, you know, his bank or three points. So um, he just brought professionalism to that side. You can just see everything he does. He wasn't a loud, boisterous guy at all. He just went about his business. Uh, you know, fearless tackler for a guy who's tiny. Um, and just everything he did was, uh, you know, the consummate professional is what Mark Winokur called him. And that's, I mean, that's what he was. He typified that. So uh, uh, that's really what he brought uh, is, is that level of, of professionalism to the side and really set the standard. Uh, it, was, it was fun to watch. 
Now, Derek, he had quite the impact on, on the team as well. You know, you were, you've been interviewing these guys for the past you know, year and a half, trying to, you know, learn more about them. You know, what is his impact going to be on his teammates as well? Yeah. I mean, like his, most of his teammates, especially Dan Moore, he really likes to use the, uh, the phrase heart of a lion a lot when uh, describing Sam Malcolm. And, you know, I think it kind of shows what they really ultimately do think of him as they gave him, you know, in the match against Utah last year, he was the captain. And, you know, so that kind of shows what the, the team thinks about him and what the management thinks about him is, you know, maybe if uh, like Dan Moore and Lucas Rumble are obviously the 1A, 1B as far as captain, but the next guy up is Sam Malcolm. So, you know, it's, it's a tough loss um, from that kind of like that leadership side. He's a very popular player amongst the group. And, you know, I think they're, they're, Mike, they're going to miss that, like, you know, just that, that little element of what Sam Elkham brings. I think, as Brian said, he's a phenomenal kicker. And, you know, he make teams pay with any penalty from anywhere on the pitch. So that's going to be another element that they lose. There's going to have to be, you know, somebody, whether it'll be Taylor Adams, Giuseppe Detroit, or someone else that's going to ultimately end up stepping up. There's going to be some big shoes that someone has to fill next year. And I think, I think uh, Brian kind of touched on it a little bit too. I think the, his defensive side of his game was maybe a little underrated. I think the, uh, his kicking kind of overshadowed that, but he, his tackle, like his tackle success rate is incredible. It's well North of 90 was well North of 90 this year, but, and I think that that's going to be something else going to miss part of what made him such a good fullback is that he was such a consistent tackler and uh, he can put a little extra oomph on them too. If uh, the time called for it as well. And I think that's, you know, a selfless player, you know, you know, he never end up ever getting that MLR try, but damn, he set up a, a few good bunch of them. So uh, Sam, thank you for playing so well for us. And, you know, we enjoyed it. I mean, again, my dad, the first rugby professional rugby game I brought my dad to was the drop goal game. So thank you for putting on such a show for, for the fans. Yeah. And even like the game after that, the playoff game in Seattle, where he just kept getting like oh. just hit after hit after hit, but just would like keep got up and kept going. I think, you know, I think like the other players see that and then like, they kind of want to, you got to raise your own level to uh, match what Sam Malcolm can bring. So you know, he, he was definitely a popular player amongst players and fans. So he will be surely missed over the the, uh, the next season. Maybe he'll come back at some point. Who knows? Hopeful optimism. Hopeful optimism. Uh, but, you know, it's not all, you know, gloom and doom. Uh, the Arrows did announce a fresh new batch of signings. Um, you know, four of the players have already played for the Arrows. Um, and, and one new uh, exciting player that, ha that has joined uh, the, the roster. Uh, Brian, you want to kind of talk about the new, the new arrow in the quiver? Yeah. Uh, when I heard they signed Juan Cruz Gonzalez, I was immediately impressed. Uh, first of all, I thought he was uh, he retired. He actually did retire. He had a, he had a, uh, a back problem. Uh, some discs were bulging out, and they said, he, you know, he was just a small guy. He wasn't going to repair properly. He couldn't take it. Uh, the uh, the contact I guess in the game, but then he came back and he was playing in Spain with uh, in the second division there, um, and he's coming in. This guy is a different player to Sam Malcolm. Um, similar size, he's only about five seven, but his footwork is just uh, ridiculous. Uh, awesome skills. The guy is absolutely electric. He'll be playing fifteen, so he'll give him that um, 
the two first receivers again because he's played a lot of 10 as well. Uh, but he's a different player to Sam. This guy is all out attack. He will just find holes. He will make guys look silly. He can move. He's very quick and pass off both hands, can kick. Uh, this guy is an awesome player. If this, if he was bigger, like if he was six feet tall, he'd be in the Pumas without question. I mean, he almost made it there uh, without him. He scored uh, when the Argentina 15 played Toulon uh, in France. He scored 25 points and they beat them. I mean, this guy's a class player. So, uh, you know, it's sad to see Sam go, but this is going to be a different dimension to uh, the Arrows attack. Uh, a little bit closer to a Theo Souter type uh bring them a little bit more electricity to the attack so i'm very very excited to see how he goes in mlr and derek that that uh that game that brian was talking about i believe you shared the highlights from that game on your your twitter so uh yeah it's uh it's probably the best game that he's ever played um like brian said 25 points i think like if you watch that highlight pack the best play in that game might not be a play that he actually got points on he kind of uh, chips the ball to himself over the first defender. By the time he gets to the second defender, he has an offload to, uh, I believe it's the fullback on the wing that just like waltzes in for a try after. It's a pretty skillful play. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting to hear Brian kind of go with uh, saying that he's a little bit of the opposite of Sam Malcolm, kind of being an all-out attack guy. And I think Taylor Adams kind of plays with a little bit of that all-out attack kind of X-factor mentality in his game too. So, Seeing both of those guys on the pitch at the same time should uh, be a lot of fun. It will, and it's ultimate chaos is what I'm always looking for, so I love it. Chaos um, is great. Chaos is great. Chaos is great, especially on the pitch. Um, the rest of the signings we're, we're, we're familiar with. Um, Richie Aizada came over last season and, you know, didn't get to play the full season, but he had quite the impact on the team. Um, it's like we went, we, we lost one mobile prop and we just took another from another Southern Hemisphere country. Um, Spencer Jones did not get to play this year. However, you know, made, made his impact for sure in the first season of the Arrows. Uh, Kobe Francis, I've got him playing with, uh, with uh, the national team. So that says more than enough about what Kobe is about. And I'll ask you guys about, you know, how you feel about these signings. And Stephen Ng's been, you know, uh, the ultimate professional with the arrows does puts his work in as the backup. Um, we'll start with you, Derek. How do we feel about uh, re retaining these players for, for next season? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great to see so many guys coming back. I think there's, you know, the arrows were the most consistent team last year, as far as player and coach retention um, going from the 2019 to the 2020 season. And by all accounts, it kind of sounds like they're going to be on the same line. Obviously there's going to be like a few more new faces in the likes of uh, uh, Gonzalez and a couple other players that could be coming in in the future too. Um, but for the most part, it sounds like a lot of the team will be coming back and we just, you know, got another sample of it today. Um, yeah. Spencer Jones. Um, I, I, he has that potential to be playing for the national team as well as Brian alluded to. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that, uh, you know, with the season getting cut short, you know, he had what probably wouldn't have been a season ending injury, but obviously due to COVID-19, it ended up being a season ending injury. So um, for Jones, that's, you know, that's just kind of unfortunate, but good to, good to have him back. Stephen Ng, I think, you know, he's, he, for a team that has Andrew Quatrin, man, like he, they got 
a really great backup hooker. Um, and, you know, I think Ng has started a couple games, whether it's just because Quatran needed, you know, that little rest or a little bit of a, maybe a strategic thing like against Atlanta. And, you know, he certainly is showing promise in his own right. And I think it's great to see him kind of continue his development. Um, Colby Francis, too, I'm looking forward to just seeing how much further he develops. And obviously, you know, guys like Thomas De La Vega still being on the team going into next year is going to help him develop as a back row a lot as well. And uh, Richie Esieda, um, I think I love watching the guy carry with the ball just because I think he does it in a slightly unique way to most other props. Um, just he does kind of favor a little sidestep every now and then, which is kind of a fun thing to watch out of a prop. So a lot more uh, – a lot of players to just kind of be excited that they're coming back. It's still kind of some of their young guys, some of their bench guys in there. Um, but, you know, it's clearly the uh, the makings of another solid arrows team for the uh, 2021 season. Yeah, Brian, this is, you know, the, the retention that Derek kind of spoke to is, is quite impressive. And we saw it with, with teams like Austin who had a slow start to the year before they really got to go and kind of, get into their groove of things with players kind of arriving late. What kind of impact did this retention have on a team in, in, a, in a competition like this? Oh, yeah, I think it's huge. And you see the same kind of thing with NOLA, where they're building a team that's going to be together for, you know, three, four, five years. Uh, and, and a lot of these guys have obviously been playing together from before uh, MLR with the Blues and then and the Ontario programs. Uh, and they're just bringing in little pieces here and there. Asiata, I think, uh, yeah, you guys said he, he was really good. Um, I think we're going to see better from him this year because he was kind of floating between loose head, tight head. He's not really a tight head prop. Uh, so I can tell you there is a new tight head prop coming in. Um, so that's going to allow him to concentrate on loose head. So I think we'll get the best out of him this year, which is really great. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, like you said, Spencer Jones, to have him again, missed the whole season. Unfortunately, Marcello Wainwright, another one who missed the whole season, didn't play at all. So that's going to be like having two new guys again, a year older. They're both going to be you know, heading into their uh, starting to hit the prime of their career. Um, it's really exciting. Uh, you know, be interested to see if there's a couple other, I know of a couple guys on the way in, uh, interested to see if there's a couple more, you know, they, they got most of the pieces that they need as it is. And that cohesion, that team cohesion that they have is, uh, is, is massive. I mean, you can see it in the way they played this year, those first four games until they kind of ran out of gas against, uh, against Colorado. Um, you know, they look, they look pretty good. They look impressive. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gearing up for a big year for the Arrows. Uh, I think they'll be uh, probably the favorites in the East Conference heading in. So I, I'm going off script a little bit because in, in having these discussions, I, I have two questions for you, Brian. One, one is a fan perspective, and another one we'll, we'll talk about Brian, the, the, the sports writer. The first one is what does it mean to you to have the Toronto Arrows? You know, you, like you, you grew up in – in Scarborough now you're you know you're out west now representing the east coast but what does it mean to have a professional team in Canada now it's it's massive it's uh, i mean it's everything guys always talk about it. it gives you something to build towards you know you're playing a club rugby in Oshawa we'll use Oshawa for Derek uh you know it it, it gives up the Brock Webster is the world something to look for instead of just saying I want to get a sevens contract and hang out at the giant bench press in Langford I, I can play for a real team the Toronto Arrows you know uh it, it's such a massive thing I 
man, I hope we uh, get a second team, but I'm sure we're heading in that direction in this conversation. Um, so it, it's amazing. I mean, when I started doing writing, I actually did a little bit of kind of press work for uh, the Toronto Extreme, who were back in the old Rugby Canada Super League. Uh, so even to have that, that was exciting to see stuff like that. Um, to have these provincial teams that were pretty good in the day. And then we had the uh, the uh, the CRC, of course, right? Teams like that. But this is just a step above. To have an actual professional players is so massive. Uh, it's so important. So uh, really the, the MLR is the biggest thing that's happened to uh, rugby in North America really probably ever. It's, uh, it's has such a massive impact. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's, uh, it's really exciting. Derek? No. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is, it's great. I think as Brent said, like it just gives players that want to play at that elite level of something to aspire to. I think, um, I believe it was Mike Shepard who was kind of speaking at a fan event last year. And he, he was talking about how, like, when he was playing, like, the top level of club, it's kind of it's kind of tough sometimes because you have those guys that want to get to that elite level. But then you also have on that same team guys that don't really have that aspiration and might not be kind of on the same wavelength as far as, like, you know, dedication to the club and everything like that. And But, like, that's the way you have to play because that was all that you kind of had. And now having the Toronto Arrows, it gives the top Canadian players or it gives the or Ontario players or wherever Mark Winokur decides to bring guys in from, it gives those guys like a 100% pure professional environment where everybody's kind of on the same page. And you can, you can see how much better certain guys on the arrows have already gotten just by, you know, playing the year and five games so far. So my, my next question for you is, uh, this is something that, that it was, it was a fan question that that was kind of brought up to me was, you see the consistency in, in, in terms of tempo with the offense of the arrows. And then you look at the national team and it doesn't seem to run as fluid. So my question to you, Brian, is this something that with the arrows being implemented into the program, maybe implementing some of what Rutley Canyon wants to see, is there going to be improvement on the national team or is it basically we should blame Kingsley Jones? He doesn't have the same, you know, aspirations for fluid offense as the arrows or do you think it's all poppycock and the arrows just are the arrows well there's a, a lot of stuff in there um i don't think you can absolve kingsley of uh of responsibility for uh, the national team's performance he's the head coach the buck stops with him um certainly some selections i didn't agree with but that's neither here or there uh but the environments are different i mean the arrows are together the whole for you know, uninterrupted for that six month period, pretty much, right? So um, that's a big help for them uh, to, to be training day in and day out together. You, you know, when you're hanging out with players and going through practices constantly every day, you, you figure out where this player steps, how they go left, uh, you know, do they slow down? Do they have a little shimmy? Your support lines are better. You understand the guys next to you, whereas in the national team, it's very condensed. Uh, you know, Kingsley talked about having, not having, uh, the most ideal preparation and you know you talk to players certainly they did not heading into the uh, Pacific Nations Cup or the World Cup so you know you have to give them a bit of slack there as well um, Canada will get better uh, I, I think 20, 2023 is kind of be kind of a, um, a transition period uh, but I think our team in 2027 is going to be pretty good uh, probably the best we will have had 
uh, certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's trending that way in the professional era. So um, that's really the thing to look at, really build a team. So uh, I, I wouldn't say to expect Canada to come flying out of the gates uh, in the next game they play, but, uh, you know, give them uh, three or four years together um, and a few more arrows and, uh, and they'll, <laughs> they'll start to improve. Derek, do you agree with him? Is, is it just I, I need to and some of the fans need to be patient or should we sharpen our pitchforks? Yeah, I mean, like it's, it's pro sports. I mean, if you're not winning, fans are going to start sharpening pitchforks no matter which uh, level you are at. I think your initial question was kind of like questioning whether like Canada needs to have more of an arrows set, like styled offense. Was that kind of... What well, that was yeah. That was one of the questions. That was one of the questions. I, I kind of bunched a couple together. Yeah, like, if, um, if that's the question, I don't. I don't think that needs to necessarily happen. Like, I think you. I don't think you want a system where like every coach is coaching the exact same way, just because there's multiple different ways to play rugby and there's multiple right. ways that teams can be different and find different ways to be successful. What works for one team might not necessarily work for another team. You know, not every team can play rugby like Fiji or, you know, not everybody can play like the Springboks or something like that. Right. And so I think it's kind of the same thing, like within the country, it's like, I think, I think having the arrows and Canada maybe play some different styles of rugby is probably beneficial for, you know, those players anyways, just because they can kind of incorporate their own experience into that, figure out what works best for them. They, you know, the Team Canada should be, like, if you have guys from everywhere, you know, start taking ideas from, like, you know, the Seawolves players might be able to bring something that the Arrows guys can't because that's a little bit different. Or, you know, maybe guys that play for, like, you know, Old Glory or the Free Jacks can all bring a little something different because they're playing for different coaches. Obviously, you have the guys like you know, Ardron, Olmstead, Priscillier that are all playing overseas, they can come over and bring something from what they are learning from those coaches overseas. And it's not everybody's going to be coaching the game the exact same way. And I don't think you want a system or a team that has, you know, 23 guys that think the exact same way. I don't think that would necessarily be beneficial for you. And I don't think that'd be beneficial to have like a chain of development of everybody thinking the exact same way either. And the styles, just to throw on that, the styles are going to be dictated a bit by the selection as well. Whereas the arrows, you look at their back row in particular, uh, last year, very mobile, De La Vega, uh, Rumble, and Manadiana. Uh, whereas Canada, trending towards 2027, we're going to start to see some really big kids coming through the back row. We've really been undersized in our pack for a number of years, often throwing out like two, open, you know, the days of Nanyak Dalla and uh, Adam Kleberger playing in the flank, two guys who are out now at open size, right? We're not going to be seeing that with Canada when we got uh, your Quentin James, your Nick Carson, uh, Matt Bukaboom coming through, guys who are six foot five, six foot six. We're going to have a big pack moving forward. So uh, that's going to dictate the style a bit. So I, I think you'll see more of a steamroller approach from uh, the Canadian uh, side moving ahead uh, more so than the arrows, which will play that, uh, you know, we'll see again the, the, uh, the two first receivers kind of split field attack and, and, and built more on motion and, uh, and, and, and building those uh, kind of uh, mismatches around the field. So uh, they're, they're going to have different styles. And, and yeah, I agree with Derek. That's, a, that's probably a good thing. That's probably appropriate. There you go, everyone. So let's, Preach patience. I think that's something that we that Derek's talked talked about before with me, um, and it's going to be it will be very interesting the next few years about 
how the styles change, especially with like like uh, uh, Brian just said, new new faces. It's going to change a lot. Um, speaking of new faces, a uh, huge signing in MLR, and it feels like that's not the unfortunate thing about doing things, you know, on a weekly basis. Is when news happens a couple days after you record, we have to take a little time to talk about it. But uh, San Diego has signed Chris Robshaw from the Harlequins, former England captain. Originally, it was reported that he might have been sticking around in the Big Apple, but he has decided to uh, take his talents to the beach and uh, enjoy some of that sunny weather in San Diego. And honestly, after living in the UK, I would not blame him. Now, Brian, my question to you is, he's not in the prime of his career anymore. Otherwise, he'd still be staying in the UK, you know, with the Harlequins or someone else making a little bit of money. But what will his impact be on San Diego and what will his impact have on MLR? Well, I mean, it's going to bring their professionalism, right? I mean, Chris Robshaw, that's what he's known for. He's never a superstar player. He's Mr. Consistency. He's a high work rate kind of guy and really that uh, impeccable leadership. But as you say, he's, uh, you know, he's uh, 34, 35, getting up there in the end of his career. I think um, the big winners of this Devin Short going to Nola Gold. I rate Devin Short very highly. Uh, really impressive flanker. I, I kind of wish he had been learning from Robshaw. And Sam Wuching, uh, who we saw make huge strides at San Diego. So he's going to learn a lot from Robshaw about professionalism, about a little little kind of things around the breakdown or, you know, a little running line here. That, that kind of stuff is really um, – uh, can, can make a big difference in the game, these little tiny tweaks. So he'll learn a lot from that. Uh, and, he, and yeah, Rob Shaw, he lives the profile again. He's not quite a, a Nanu or a Bastero in terms of, um, you know, megastar popularity, something like that. But but he's a big name. You, know, you don't get England captains like that uh, very often. So, uh, you know, he's an interesting signing. Um, I know Nola's very pleased to be getting different short. I think they're going to have a, a hell of a back row uh, next year. Um, so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does. It, it, it's, it's such a psychological lift to be playing against a guy competing against Chris Robshaw, uh, you know, and, and, and succeeding, even if he's a, a little bit older. As a, as a young American player, it, uh, you know, it really builds up your confidence to play against a guy like that. Know you can actually compete at that professional level. So uh, that'll be a big win for the league. Now uh, we'll talk about Devin short in a second, because his, his deal is quite interesting, but uh, Derek, and this is something that since La, uh, since Ben Foden first signed with, with Rooney, the comparisons to the beginning of MLS uh, and the signing of, of older stars guys like David Beckham, uh, it has been a comparison that uh, MLR has had to deal with, especially this past season with Ma Nanu, The Beast, and uh, Bastaro uh, bringing their talents overseas. You know, how, are, how do you guys – and I'm going to ask you first, Derek, how do you feel about these signings? And, and is it a positive thing for the league, or are you on the, bent, are you on the side of – if we're going to bring people over, it should be guys who are younger and could offer something to either the Canadian or U.S. national programs. No, I love it. Um, the last time I checked, the MLS was doing great. So if we can kind of follow a little bit of the MLS model, I have no issues with that. 
the league kind of structured how the MLS was in the early days. And I don't see any issue with bringing in some of these, you know, superstar players from overseas. Um, I really do like that this deal for Rob Shaw, the San Diego also announced that it's a two-year deal. So there's a little bit of that extra commitment there from him, uh, which I think is excellent just to kind of know that that guy, a guy of his caliber is going to be in the league for two years. Especially think, with, sorry, Derek, especially with some of the guys that I just mentioned there, other than, you know, Bastero, some mm-hmm. of the other guys that I just mentioned, their futures are still up in the air. There's been kind of words about that they're gone and, and not. So that is a great point. Yeah. So it's like, it's nice to see, like, I think even like the beast is like the CEO of a security company or something now. So uh, like who knows what that means for any potential return to North America and which ultimately means we would have got like three games of him um, in the MLR, which is unfortunate, but I like to see that Rob Shaw has, you know, has made that commitment. I think it's, I think, it's one of those things where I think it's great for the players themselves, as Brian touched on. Is like, you know, you can learn from Chris Robshaw. Like the San Diego back rows, even like like Sal Mooching is obviously the headliner of that. But like everybody on that back row is going to be better from having played with Chris Robshaw. And you know, it's same with like you know their back their back line got better by playing with Nanu. And I'm sure like even the old Glory guys, even if it was a brief time, it's like I'm sure their front row players also developed you know, got to learn a lot under the beast too. And the same goes for anybody that has gotten the chance to play with one of these big name players. And I think if the league kind of has more than like more of those guys in it, it's just like, it helps North America, like the United States and Canada get better if they're playing with these guys. Like even like the Toronto Arrows having like fully capped Pumas, like Tom Stella Vega on their team. Like there's like an extra level of professionalism and skill that they can bring to the team. And guys are able to learn off of that, which in turn is going to make both Canada and the USA better. So, um, and then the other element of it is because they are some of the more famous players in the world then, you know, hopefully it puts a few extra butts in seats as well. And I, I, I agree with you, Derek. I, I think that uh, I, I am a big supporter of development of the U.S. and Canadian national teams. I think that that is a priority for MLR. Uh, but at the same time, you need to get interest from other rugby fans across the world yeah. as well. We need to be a viable league. I think having some of these guys come and, and, and fly their trade and, you know, prove people that, yeah, Bastero struggled because the competition was a little bit higher than maybe people rate it. Or, you know, Mananu had some, some guys finishing off some of his big plays because they were up to the task. You know, so I think it's definitely a very uh, exciting time for the league. Um, now, one interesting little trade did happen from this Rob Shaw deal. And uh, Brian, you kind of talked about a little bit. Um, Devin Short was traded to Noah Gold for an extra form player slot. Now, you kind of talked a little bit about Devin Short as a player, Brian. How do you feel about the, this, this deal? Is the league doing a good enough job being transparent with these types of trades, especially when it comes to a form player slot? Uh, I think communications in general across Major League Rugby are poor. Uh, uh, you know, we've seen stuff going around about the, uh, the, uh, dispersal draft, the Colorado Raptors, where those guys, they've been gone. Like that, that stuff is done. Why aren't these, uh, 
you know, signings out and, and, and why aren't people talking about it? They finally released one today, Cody O'Neill uh, going to Dallas. But, I mean, there's, you know, I have four guys going to LA and about eight guys going to Dallas from Colorado. Why aren't these things, why haven't they been announced yet? They should have been out before the uh, collegiate draft, frankly. Uh, the people are slow to announce signings. Um, when they do, they're not always on every social media platform. MLR itself, uh, you know, a suspension. Why do we have to dig for a suspension? But guy suspended, why is it not on the MLR site 20, within 24 hours of the ruling? Um, I think communication standards in general uh, need to rise. Um, you know, they, like the, uh, the foreign players by, I'm still working. <laughs> Still haven't posted an article, so maybe that's some of my fault. But, you know, <laughs> MLR hasn't gone out of their way to explain that whole system. Um, so, you know, it's almost like that kind of communication is secondary to, you know, and, and I understand you got to put emphasis on the commercial side of things. But I think as a professional organization, you have to get your communications right. You have to connect with people. You have to be transparent because that's how you build interest. That's how the fans start to understand all these kind of moves. Um, you know, trades aren't something you see really in European rugby, but we're going to be seeing it in North American rugby. So why aren't they out there? Why isn't uh, that stuff coming through? So, um, yeah, I, I think it's fair criticism to say that uh, it, it's not really uh, up to standard at the moment. And Derek, some, I will say that some teams are better than others. Thankfully, the, the arrows are blessed. We'll, we'll brag about them again. Yeah. <laughs> and they're very good. Uh, we have to give them huge kudos. Uh, it's definitely Brock Smith for inspiring the, uh, the injury reports that we got here that inspired other teams to follow suit, I thought was a, a real positive step. Yeah, Brock, great job. And just a touch of class getting the uh, physiotherapist to sponsor both. That's just like, just so on the nose. It's, it's fantastic. But um, Derek, this is something that you've been vocal about on the podcast and your writing and on social media about these minutiae of these traits not being more transparent. And it became pretty questionable and odd surrounding this, the draft as well because people were trading money. People were trading in foreign player slots for draft picks. It was kind of chaos. Um, do you feel the same way as Brian about, about all this stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I don't think I could really say it better than Brian. I think I could just sort of add to what he was going off of. Um, yeah, I think it's – kind of ridiculous at times that the league doesn't announce suspensions. I think, you know, when you sometimes you have like the word major league in front of your professional sports organization in North America, like that carries some weight to it. And, you know, they're none like the NHL, NFL, MLB, MLS, NLL, like they can't get away with not providing injury reports or suspensions. Like that wouldn't be something that would fly in those leagues. Um, and I think I would love to see Major League Rugby kind of step up and start doing that. The Toronto Arrows provide injury reports. The New England Free Jacks provide injury reports, which based on last year means there's 10 teams that need to start providing injury reports. Um, and in order to get it to a level where it's at the amount of teams that should be providing injury reports, you know, going into 2021, all 13 teams need to do this. It's just like a basic um, operation of a professional sports league thing. I think my biggest question, though, like with some of the trades and stuff, is that there's, you know, the idea kind of floating around that trades have been made before this season, even though they're only kind of getting announced now. And if you're able to – if you've been able to trade things like foreign player slots or cap space for the past three years, I just want to know what every team has. 
Like, you know, like with if Nola just sent a foreign player spot to San Diego, does that mean San Diego now has 11 foreign player spots? Or does that mean that San Diego already made some trades and now they're actually at the like 14 or something, or they're even lower than 10 because they made other trades. Um, same with like, so I just kind of want, like, I think it would be great to see where those teams are at. Same with, um, you know, uh, New York traded cap space to Dallas. One, like, how much cap space did you trade to Dallas? Because I feel like that's an important detail on that trade. And two, if you've been able to do that the whole time, like, how much cap space does every team actually have? So I think from me, from, like, a fan, like I said, a fan friendliness standpoint, I think you would have to go with – I think Major League Rugby would just do well to kind of come out and be like, um, you know, the Toronto Arrows have X amount of foreign player spots and X amount of cap space. The Utah Warriors have X amount of foreign player spots, X amount of cap space, and just go down the entire league kind of with that. Just so fans sort of know what every team is dealing with. Because even like we even saw it with the Rob Shaw thing immediately. It was, you know, how does San Diego afford Rob Shaw and stuff? And it's like, well, who knows? Maybe they traded for more cap and it's actually quite easy for them to afford Rob Shaw. But, you know, most like the info is not out there necessarily. So, right. you know, it leads to, I think it just leads to some um, fan confusion at certain points. And then unfortunately San Diego has not built the best reputation for themselves. So uh, I, I agree with you on all fronts. I think that this is something that needs to be hashed out with all teams kind of set a standard and startups always have their bumps and bruises, but now it's been a couple of years. We can start unwinding those training wheels and say, let's, start acting like a proper, proper league, especially if you want to take, if we want to take parts from North American sports, then let's take the good things as well and, and really set a standard. Um, now, we've, uh, Brian, you've answered a good amount of the fan questions. So we've, we've got just two more questions for you that uh, I've seen on Reddit and, and, and Twitter a bunch. And, and when I asked it, our listeners, these were two of the questions that we got. Um, the first one is from at Johnny24A on Reddit. What the heck is going on in Vancouver all this time to not have an MLR team yet or on the horizon? And I, you've kind of touched on it on threads on, on Reddit. And, but, uh, you know, it, it, we've got your corners now. What, what is going on? Like, why is our, pro, our national program based out west and we don't have an MLR, MLR team out there? I probably get that question like multiple times a week. Uh, and again, to be fair, I've been saying I've been get to get a, an article up on it pretty soon, but it, it's such a fluid situation. It's uh, it's one of these things where if I threw something out, it might be uh, behind the times in a couple of weeks kind of thing. Uh, the easiest answer is the money isn't there at the moment. Um, you can argue whether or not uh, the original uh, bid from uh, Carl Harrison put out that press release, I guess, 2018, that he was going to put the team in. You can argue whether or not it was a mistake to wait and not to put the team in then, looking at the, uh, the buy-in, because at that time, I think it was around 500K or something like that uh, to buy in to a franchise. Um, uh, certainly, uh, it, it's much higher. It was five million last year. I think it's more than that now. I think it's probably closer to 10 million, something like that. Ooh. So it's it's not you can't just walk in you know and you, you got to have some financial backing um to get in now i mean look at some of the owners <laughs> adam gilchrist certainly is uh is is uh, doing something anyways uh but he's uh he's brought a lot of money behind him i mean let's just go out and say it right so uh vancouver's got a 
they don't really have a billionaire just standing there in the corner saying, you know, okay, we'll make the Vancouver, whatever, Gil Baloney's, whatever you want to call them. Um, so you have to build uh, a, a group of investors. You have to get them all on board. You have to have a plan. Um, there's other things to consider, of course. It, it, you know, it's um, it, it's, a, it's a gamble, right? It's uh, if people don't have a billion dollars out there and they can't throw, you know, their ten million dollars isn't chump change. It's a gamble. So you got to have a business plan. You got to have all that stuff functioning. Um, but it's frustrating. Uh, there's, there's obviously some politics involved before. Um, BC Rugby isn't always the most uh, functioning group. Uh, a lot of people kind of looking out for their own behinds instead of coming together as a, as, as a group and, and getting something done. Um, but it's certainly, it's, it's immensely frustrating from a Canadian perspective. Uh, I'm sure Kingsley Jones is immensely frustrated. I mean, you could put that team in uh, to the season coming up um, with, you know, and, and they would be competitive right out of the gate. They wouldn't be maybe a championship team, but they would be competitive even with the best young kids that they have out there. Uh, there's so much talent out there. They've got uh, the facilities. They've got so many feeder teams there. It just seems like a no brainer. Right. So, um, you know, fingers crossed. There is some hope. I will say that it's not, it's not dead in the water. There is stuff happening. There are people who want to make it happen. Um, when that happens, I, I, I don't know. Um, uh, fingers crossed it's 2022, but uh, who knows? <laughs> You're, so I'm going to say you are the – you get to choose the uniform kit colors with Vancouver. What are you going with? Well, uh, Vancouver – well, I mean, the, the Bears colors, the BC Bears colors are like yellow and blue, which is um, – I guess it's kind of a BC color, so you'd, you'd probably go with something like that, I, I would say. I like it. I like it. You know, unfortunately, the Seawolves took took the the nice uh, Pacific Northwest blue and uh, blue and green. So Canuck fans, unfortunately, going to be left out in the the rain. But you're used to that, so that's not a problem there. Um, Derek, you know, the funny thing that us being you know Ontario boys and you know following the arrows and following the OUA is it's so interesting to hear that they don't have and it's something that Brian kind of just said about the you know, chaos that is BC rugby, that they don't have even a varsity, fully varsity program for their, their men's rugby. Like something like that. That's it. it, it I want to get your perspective as again, and it's a, it's a perspective and people out West are not going to like it when they hear another guy from the Toronto area complaining about what's going on out West. But it is such a strange thing to see with us having, you know, the OUA rugby program and the OCAA uh, programs. Yeah, well, I mean, even with that, UBC is probably still the best team in the country. Um, but <laughs> but does that even make it weirder? Does it even that make no, it I, Well, they get to play in the BC Premier League too, which you know is a quality competition in its own right out there. Um, I just, you know, I think I think the big thing is like you know, if the more this, I think in just in general, the more the sports available in schools, it's like the more people will play it, and then like. If you have, like, if you kind of play in Ontario and you're like, I want to go play rugby at university or college, so you just have, you have a ton of options. Um, and, you know, that's always a good thing. So I'm, that's, like, I, I don't necessarily think BC system is bad or anything. It's just, it's different than. Now you're putting words in my mouth. Yeah, well, you're the one that totally. You're that's what you're implying. At least I, uh, I don't. You, you can't base a career on implications, there, my friend. All right. Well, the last question I have for you, uh, and we're, we're going to go cross codes a tad. Um, you know, 
and this was a question when when the arrows kind of started and and the wolf pack had already had a couple of years they, these questions kind of happened uh brian about should rugby ontario and the arrows be worried about the wolf pack well guess what i'm asking you a very similar question but uh in 2021 the ottawa aces are going to be starting up in the the, the bottom tier of uh the uh, rugby league the rfl should and again this is from at six again on reddit not from me please don't six again is a very league sounding reddit name yeah with the ottawa aces returning in 2021 or starting up in 2021 should the arrows or rugby ontario slash rugby canada be worried brian no (laughs) (laughs) yeah No, that's, absolutely. I mean, not. yeah, that's that's the answer absolutely to the question. Not. Uh ludicrous, ludicrous. Why would we ever be worried about a sport that has zero foothold uh, in North America? And who cares if they have a team? Great, maybe some uh, Ottawa guys will go and get to play. I doubt it, but maybe a couple will get to go and play with uh, the Aces and get paid to play rugby. Hey, great for them. Great for. I mean, it's just it, they're just different. It's you can't really compare rugby league and, and, and rugby union in that professional sense. I mean, they just. Rugby league is such a small sport compared to the worldwide uh, appeal of rugby union. Uh, and the wolf pack versus arrows thing is silly. Uh, you're going to get different fans. People will go to both if they like both. There's zero reason to be concerned about either of them stealing players or stealing uh, potential revenue streams. I just, uh, yeah, no, that's the easiest answer. No. <laughs> And, you know, I want people to, I think people have, you know, recency biases. You know, they're seeing these tryouts that the Ottawa Aces are saying that they want yeah. athletes from, you know, different, different sports. And if, are you a rugby union player? You know, they're, they're calling out tons of people. And, you know, I think recency bias is forgetting that the Toronto Wolfpack did this as well. Like they, they did their scouting. Like I remember it was a big deal that uh, someone from my hometown got a, uh, tryouts with the Wolfpack and he made it to like almost to the actual like starting lineup for their, 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 their first season, you know? So this isn't something that is, you know, in, in our time of watching rugby league new, right? There's, uh, there's more AFL clubs in Ontario than rugby league clubs. And there's also more Quidditch clubs in Ontario than <laughs> rugby league clubs. Um, there's also a semi-pro Quidditch league. If anybody actually wants to go look that up, um, that's no. it is a thing. It's both Brian it's, and I are shaking our heads. No, dude, it's a real thing though. But there's more of those teams than rugby league clubs in Ontario, and that's kind of where I don't. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't know where the the concern will ever necessarily be. And and again, I, I do get two very very small dosage i do understand some of the worry because again you know the money the money is was backed behind the wolf pack but we have seen how money has been handled with that team and we're not going to get into it because that is a whole you know another discussion so calm your nerves at what's what's his name at six again we 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 should we, should, we will be fine we might lose a couple club guys that from eastern ontario rugby but uh, that is the end of our episode. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for joining us. And again, if you guys are looking to uh, read more of his, his content at America Rugby News and at Brian Ray, he 
you are constantly putting out a ton of work and we wanted to thank you not only for coming on, but also for uh, constantly putting out content for us as rugby fans, especially during this time, you know, seeing you guys post again, that uh, Jeff Hassler try uh, from 2015 was just great. That's the easy stuff to post. It's, <laughs> it's pretty packaged. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's been fun guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Always happy to have a chat about uh, rugby, especially Canadian rugby and uh, the more shows, the more people get talking about it really is uh, that's the end goal. Right. So, uh, you know, it might, I think like there's a lot going on, but you just keep doing it and it builds and people listen and uh, it grows organically. So uh, it's great that you guys are doing this. Well, again, guys, uh, if you want to listen to more of our podcast episodes the last few weeks, we posted a couple last week, Derek and uh, Stu got together and without me and accused me of buying my parents a new car when I could let alone buy myself a new car. So no, I did not. That's buy why my it's a generous a gift. That's why it's a generous gift. We had a very nice Zoom call. It was very much like this. It was lovely. And they appreciate you guys saying, saying happy anniversary. It was very nice. So thank you. Guys. Thank you guys. Um, if you guys want to uh, follow us, it's at LaRouge rugby. Um, you know, we will be continuing to post content as news comes out. So thank you very much for listening. And uh, hopefully we will have some more good news about Canadian rugby on the horizon. All right, Brian. Well, thank you very much, man. We really appreciate this. No problem. It was uh, good times. Good times. Funny yeah. questions. Yeah. Get some rest. And uh, you know what? You should do like a, I was thinking about this, like a timeline of all the like, 